Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, sponsored by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and this evening we're very, very privileged to have a very, very noted speaker and low vision practitioner, Dr. Bruce Rosenthal. He comes to us from the New York Lighthouse, and he has lectured extensively throughout the world on the topics of low vision. So tonight, uh, we're going to have a discussion about the benefits of using different types of filters and other types of sunglasses that can help people with low vision. So welcome to the show, Dr. Rosenthal. Well, it's my pleasure, Bill, and thanks for having me on tonight. Yes, you know, it's something that we've really been asking many, many people, what are the things that they're most interested in learning about? And many people are very, very confused about sunglasses, so we thought that we'd get the information from the expert. Oh, I'd love to share a lot of the information I have from uh, giving lectures myself, but also I, I think a lot of our experience, yours and my experience, comes from our patients really tell us, you know, what they uh, want in terms of a filter and why they need a filter and what seems to work best for their particular eye conditions. And I think um, that uh, that applies to everybody in the audience. Uh, I think what for, we first have to establish is, you know, why do people need filters when they have a low vision evaluation? And I would say, for the most part, almost everybody uh, who has a visual impairment has some type of light sensitivity, uh, and it's all very dependent upon what their eye condition is. And uh, a filter will also do something else that I'd like to talk about in greater detail. Uh, it's called contrast sensitivity. And uh, I think that's one of the more important reasons why somebody may actually get a filter. And one other reason might be adapting from outdoors to indoors. So, Bill, you, you can take it from there, you know, in which direction we should be heading. Yeah, can you first of all just clarify to everybody on the call this evening about the importance of protecting the eyes from the sunlight and the ultraviolet radiation? I know that many times patients will ask, is it important that they try to protect their eyes after they have developed macular degeneration or retinitis pigmentosa? And they often then say that they're going to search for the darkest sunglasses to protect the ultraviolet. Can you go ahead and clarify and demystify some of these comments? I'm glad you asked the, the question the way you did. Well, first, let's go back historically. Sunglasses, if we look at some of uh, the textbooks that were written, even in the early part of the last century, people found that for example, if you were a welder and you did not use a special filter on your eye, and that's what they were, filters, because they filtered out specific wavelengths, you would actually burn your eye. If you look at the eclipses, you know, uh, without any type of sunwear uh, to cover your eye, you're going to burn part of the retina. So I think from experience we've learned certain things. Uh, when you're outdoors, what we found out is there are specific wavelengths that will basically affect vision, and it will have an impact on your eye condition. The most common one would be a cataract, and there's a very famous uh, paper, scientific paper that was done on the Chesapeake Bay fishermen, 
Chesapeake Bay fishermen were sort of divided into two groups. One group went out, didn't wear any type of sunglasses, and the other group had sunglasses that actually had a filter in which they filtered out ultraviolet. There are different types of ultraviolet A and ultraviolet B um, wavelengths of light as well as blue light. And so what ended up happening is that the fishermen, the crabbers who were out in Chesapeake Bay who didn't wear the sunwear, developed cataracts at a much earlier stage. We know that. And uh, so basically the fishermen who were protecting their eyes didn't really develop cataracts at the same rate as the others. So that's one area I know that everybody who, who likes to go outdoors, you're in California, uh, and even in the East Coast where I am, we do go outdoors, and uh, light rays can affect your eyes. Uh, I actually wrote a book, um, it came out in 1999, called Living Well with Macular Degeneration. So one of the areas that we were very interested when, when I was writing the book was what are specific, basically, risk factors that you have to worry about. You have to worry about things like diet. You have to worry about um, filters protecting your eye. We know something is going on in the back of the eye, and there have been ongoing studies um, which rays really hurt the macula. But I think the most important thing that we say to all of our patients, and I'm sure you say this to your patients, get a sunglass or a filter that has these properties that cuts out the ultraviolet light. You said something very important. Making a glass dark may be great because it's going to protect your eyes. And that is really a wrong concept because when you put on something very dark over your eyes, the pupil actually dilates. And if this doesn't filter out any of the harmful light rays that we're talking about, you'll actually even damage your eye further than you would had you not worn the dark glasses. So darkness is not one of the things that is the most important thing. In fact, often glasses are much too dark because people tend to go for the darkest glasses. And when you're visually impaired, what happens is that you really actually may need a lighter filter. Now, one of the things that I have also read many different articles, and it's a bit controversial, but when people do have problems with the retina, say that they have macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, or cone rod degeneration, there have been other articles that state that the blue wavelengths of light are also very dangerous, and they recommend that people wear a a blue-filtered light uh, lens. Can you talk about that? Well, yes. I've been very involved with with, um, a lot of the special lenses that some of our listeners may may actually be using themselves. Uh, And I'd like to go back to, to where the origin of the current filters come in and what became very important. Well, blue light was found out to be very harmful. And uh, so when we started to work out with specific lenses, I got involved with the Corning Company. And uh, back in, um, I think it was 1981, I was at a meeting, and it was an Academy of Ophthalmology meeting, actually, and I was introducing the Corning lenses. Corning had originally come out with a lens that was a red lens. This lens came out of Germany. It was called the Adrian lens. And it's an interesting lens in that the lens wasn't used for visually impaired people. It was actually used for people who were going out on night flights for bombing. 
And what they would have the pilots do is to walk around in the barracks at night wearing red lenses. And when the pilots uh, went off for their flight, they took the red lenses off, and their eyes were adapted. Now, the reason they were adapted is that they actually, you were talking, you mentioned the rods. Uh, they made the rods more sensitive to less light. And so when uh, Corning started to look into special types of filters, they, they brought in the red lens as the first lens. And this lens was used for people who had retinitis pigmentosa. That was the first actual study. Corning uh, put out a photochromic lens, meaning that the lens would actually lighten out of the sun, get darker in sunlight. And the lens had some very important properties. One was that you went from outdoors, if you had retinitis pigmentosa, to indoors, the retina actually, you would take the lenses off, it would actually function normally, as opposed to when a lot of people go outdoors, they don't wear sunwear, they come inside, have to stand inside their house or hallway until their eyes adapt. And that's because the retina, and especially the macula, is very prone to something called photostress. If you have, as you mentioned, retinitis pigmentosa, macular degeneration, uh, even with diabetics. Uh, it's called cystoid macular edema, where there's fluid in the macular area. The retina actually gets stressed out and fatigued. And what we found out with the first lens, the atrium lens, which was now the Corning 550, a red lens, is that people were not as stressed out as they normally would be. So that was the first thing that I liked is my patients were more comfortable objects stuck out from the background, and I'll get the contrast in a moment. They then decided, well, let's work on other different eye conditions, and they sent along different types of lenses that cut out certain wavelengths of light. So the 550 gets rid of all the light below 550. It's called nanometers. That's how the light waves are rated. But then they went to something that was more in the orange range, and we ended up with a special number, 527, which turned out to be an orangey lens, which was very good for people who had age-related macular degeneration. So as we began to do the studies, we came out with a third lens, which was more in the yellow-orange range, and that worked out very well for people who had early cataracts, uh, diabetic changes as well, and even some patients with early macular degeneration, and then the fourth lens that became part of that whole series was a yellow lens, which is called the 450. And we, we knew from the past that ambassadorum was one of the big leaders back in uh, probably in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, where uh, people would actually go into blinds and hunt ducks in the morning, and there would be fog, and these yellow lenses would actually cut through the fog. Well, what we found out with the yellow lens is that they worked very effectively for many of our patients who had very poor contrast. Uh, glaucoma patients have very poor contrast. So this would actually enhance the environment so objects basically stuck out instead of disappearing into the environment. So if you don't mind, Bill, let me talk a little about contrast because I keep saying that, uh, and I feel that along with the ability uh, to read letters on the eye chart, the visual acuity, the contrast sensitivity function uh, is just as important. When the Corning lens came out in the early 1980s, 
Somebody visited me. I, I was at the State University of New York running the low vision program there, but I also worked at the Lighthouse, uh, which I now run the programs in New York City. But there was a researcher who came in, and he had a new test, and somebody said, you know what, maybe you'd like to see this test. And it was a very fascinating test. It was similar to a hearing test, except it was a vision test. And what you would test were different, different visual frequencies. Just like a hearing test, you would, in hearing, you're testing the high hearing frequencies. And hearing loss goes first in the high hearing frequencies. In the high visual frequencies, you lose the high visual frequencies first with most eye pathologies. You begin to lose other frequencies as the, the condition progresses. So the person who came in to visit us happened to be working at the Air Force Vision Lab and designed the first contrast sensitivity test clinically for the original astronauts. And what they were finding out is the original astronauts didn't have just 2020 or 2015 or 2010. They had terrific vision, all of them. There was something different that the different astronauts, which were all, who were all pilots, had. And it turned out to be this contrast sensitivity function. And so the original astronaut team was, again, tested with visual acuity and contrast sensitivity. And I began to incorporate that test within the month after his name was uh, Arthur Ginsburg. And Dr. Ginsburg was working, again, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And he said, go, go right ahead and use this test. And we began to test all our low-vision patients. And at that point, we started to pay attention to contrast was a very important factor. So when... We would begin to, pers we were wondering why certain filters always worked with our patients, meaning why were there successful certain colors? So again, going back to the colors, if we go from the lowest one, we had the 450, which was yellow, it worked with glaucoma, uh, and people who had very poor contrast, and then we had this yellow-orange, which worked for people with early cataract, uh, diabetes, early diabetes, or diabetes, and early macular degeneration the yellow-orange for macular degeneration and other conditions, retinal conditions. Uh, there's an early onset called Stargardt's macular degeneration. It works well for that. And then we have the red ones for the people who had conditions such as retinitis pigmentosa and another one might have been cone dystrophy or people who are severely light-sensitive. So filters not only cut down on the intensity of the light, but we began to pay attention to how did they affect your contrast? So that if you were out driving, would you be able to see the traffic light? And every one of the filters worked out well, but I do want to qualify by saying the 550 uh, would actually change the color of the traffic lights. So actually Corning had to put something on the literature stating that, well, you, can't, you should not be using this particular color red when you're driving. Uh, the problem with the Corning lens, just so everybody knows, is Corning is, was a glass lens. And Corning uh, actually sold that division to another company about 10 years ago. And the Corning lens is a heavy lens because it's glass. So a lot of people had concerns over it being a glass lens. And they also had concerns if you were prescribing it for a young child. So that was taken away from prescribing for children a long time ago, probably at least 15 or 20 years ago, people were very aware of that. 
but there were other companies that were beginning to develop very similar type of absorptive filters. So I was very involved in this area, and, and one of my friends um, was developing filters for his company, which was the NOIR company, which is the wraparound lens, which everybody knows, and it was copied by many other companies. That's Noir Medical Technology, and Noir is out in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, he would come to New York, and we would begin to develop different kinds of colors. And it turns out the best color that doesn't change life, which had, and he had all his filters, he would always give the spectrum, and uh, you can go on and check the, the spectrum of his all of his filters, and unfortunately I think he has too many. But the gray filter, which is very similar to a filter that uh, I do a lot of photography, we used to use a lot of these in photography because they would cut down on the amount of light but not change the color. So you, would, you ended up having, uh, he developed four different gray wraparound lenses that, again, cut down on the amount of light, took out the ultraviolet A and B, and took the blue light out of the spectrum. And uh, it became a wonderful series of lenses. So you had these four um, gray ones, and there were a whole series of other lenses that he had also developed. He had been a chemist originally. Well, I went to him one year, uh, and I said, we were at a, a big meeting, and I said, you know, it's very expensive for a lot of our patients to get the corning lens. I said, plus it has some downsides, which is the weight and the possibility that you don't want it to shatter. Uh, why don't you come out with a similar filter transmission? And he did that. And I have to tell everybody in the audience, because I think it's a little funny, we were at a big meeting, Vision Expo East, and he walks over to Corning with me and said, oh, you have to see what Dr. B did for me. <laughs> and I was a little um, taken aback, and, uh, but we all got along. And uh, the difference is is that the Corning lenses were also available in prescriptions, and I think that's very important. So the Noir lenses, which cut out all the wavelengths that we're very concerned about, the Noir lenses are not prescriptive lenses. So we ended up um, looking at the two of them. And again, Corning now has an advantage when we, we look back at it and said, okay, you could get this for distance, intermediate use, or reading. I mean, so they, they had filters that you could put in prescriptive forms, whether it was a bifocal also or a trifocal, whereas Noir were wraparound, and then Noir actually came out as did many of the other companies which um, basically copied what they were doing, which were clip-on lenses. So Noir came out with almost identical filters as the Corning lens, but is a bit, was a very big differential in cost, and now people could afford to get those as well and protect themselves. So, uh, again, contrast became a very big parameter, and uh, we continued to develop new contrast tests but I, I think when everybody has a different eye, eye condition, and again, whether it's a cataract, macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, the contrast changes for each of those particular conditions. The poorer the contrast, 
the, the less light you really have to cut out. What your observation was, cutting, you know, a dark lens is good, but again, a dark lens is not good because one, if you don't have a filter in it, it'll dilate the pupil, cause more harm, and number two, it actually may be too dark and somebody may bump into an object or fall. Now, um, Bill and I uh, ha had spoken earlier today and at that point in time, I was seeing a young 44-year-old woman who had retinitis pigmentosa. She had never gotten uh, lenses that were prescriptive lenses in this color. And uh, I'm on the ninth floor of a building in New York City, and I have a beautiful big window, and we're looking out, and there's a lot of sun early in the morning in the sun. And for the first time, uh, she was actually able to see things that she could not normally see without those particular lenses. So again, each particular eye condition has uh, a specific lens that people prefer. Now, can I generalize? And I think the answer is absolutely not. Uh, I think when you and I are, are working with patients, uh, we really have to try to get our patients outdoors. And I'm very fortunate that I have, we have a whole rehabilitation staff, and I can say, do me a favor, take the patient outdoors. I want to see how they function. And I think you really have to, one, find out how they function outdoors, somebody how it functions, and whether the lens actually might be, it looks good in a, in a um, examination room, but it may actually be too light or too dark. So patients have to decide what works best for them, not work, what works best for me. I've written textbooks, but I know that whatever I put down in the textbook does not hold true in many, many instances. So, Bill? Now, Dr. Rosenthal, do you find, is there a similar effect on improving contrast when you're looking at some of the gray series, no IR, versus uh, the corning, the, the red, the orange, the light orange, and the yellow? Do they both seem to have a very similar type of effect on improving contrast? Uh, the, 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 the noir um, series that uh, is gray and, and some of the other ones uh, will do exactly what a lot of the coining lenses do. I do want to mention one that was specially developed. Um, one of the pioneers in low vision, uh, Dr. Eleanor Fay, she actually coined the word low vision and came up with simulating eye conditions. Dr. Faye still works at the Lighthouse for over 50 years, 55 years or 60 years. But Dr. Faye would come up with certain observations that other people couldn't come up with. And one of the colors she came up with for macular degeneration, interestingly enough, was a plum color. And so these are not the corny colors at all, but a lot of patients say, that really looks very good. Uh, the contrast is much better. Um, so I'm emphasizing contrast a lot because, again, it's been something I've been involved with over 30 years already and uh, something that we cannot make uh, the ophthalmologist and the optometrist as aware of what effect contrast that is decreased has on patient functioning. And one of the biggest problems that, that we're facing is the aging population. Now, we, we always talk about the aging population, but... Uh, last week, I said to my last patient of the day, who said, I'm very old, you know, I said to her, um, you know, you're not the oldest patient I've seen today. And she was 101 years old, and my oldest patient uh, last Monday was 102 and a half, and they both traveled in by themselves. 
Um, so as our patients <laughs> live longer, they're going to have a lot of these problems, which is with the contrast. But number two, the biggest problem that we have with older patients is avoiding falling because falls are the worst things that can possibly happen when you're in your 90s and early 100s, of course, and in your 80s as well because the body doesn't heal and knit, it, knit like it used to. So, again, I keep going back to your observation, Dr. Bill, about the dark lens. You have to make sure that somebody has the appropriate filters for their appropriate setting. Uh, I know somebody had gone on, they said they were from New York State. Um, interestingly enough, part of New York State has the biggest cloud cover in the country. I know the Syracuse Cornell area. Um, and, th and that means that you really can't always wear a dark lens because it, it can actually be very harmful. So what about in the car? Um, I, by the way, whenever I am outdoors, I am always wearing my UVA and B and blue absorbing lenses all the time, 100% of the time. And, and I think everybody uh, out there who has a visual impairment should discuss it with their own eye doctor, low vision specialist, what's the most appropriate um, lens for them. Now suppose you don't want a wraparound, you don't want a corning lens, every single prescription can be made up in the special tints that we're talking about. And Dr. Bill, I know, might have discussed this, but there are companies that will actually put on the tint that we're talking about onto your own glasses. Um, I like to do that as well as have the patient get a pair of glasses that comes with its own clip-on for that particular frame. Now, we also took, talked about lenses that wrap around, and I think that's a very important part that, that I don't want to ignore. Many patients... Uh, for example, they've lost the vision in one eye, and they're developing a cataract in the second eye. And they discussed this with their ophthalmologist. He said, look, I would rather defer having you have surgery. And so what's going to happen is that anybody who has a cataract usually has a glare sensation. And, and so um, you have to discuss that. Um, wearing a filter that's not too dark, a filter that will cut out a lot of the glare that's going on. So that patient may want to cut out the glare that's coming in from the top, which a normal frame not, may not cut out, as well as glare that comes in to the side. And that's what some of these wraparounds uh, are, why they're so beneficial, because they're cutting out the glare source from different locations that may be hitting the eye. Uh, and it's also interesting that we can generalize about certain eye conditions, even cataracts, but there are, are many different forms of cataract. Some cause more glare than others might cause. And again, every patient is very individual. We can say macular degeneration, but there are all types of macular degeneration, and Bill mentioned there's dry, there's wet, there's early onset. There are various forms that are not now very treatable. Um, and so you have to make sure that you might have a filter. If you have a treatment for your macular degeneration, you may have to have a different filter when your vision perhaps gets a little better, which it does with certain treatments. Bill? You, can you talk a bit about some of the different types of what are called photochromic lenses that do convert from a dark lens to a clear lens or from a dark lens to a less dark lens, such as the transitions and the Exactly. Drivers? 
So, you know, I, I, I've been talking at length about the coring lenses, which were a glass lens, and there was no plastic comparable lens at that point in time. And I like to sort of talk about the history, but uh, the Pittsburgh Plate Glass Company actually came out with a plastic photochromic lens, and it didn't seem to go anywhere. Uh, and then transitions began to develop plastic photochromic lenses, meaning they have little crystals embedded in the lens that react to the light, and they get darker. And uh, they have a tremendous advantage in that they're lightweight. You can put it into any cosmetic style, and I believe they're the biggest seller of any type of lens in the world uh, because they have so many advantages. Now, now one of the advantages um, may be that you're wearing a dark filter outdoors, but you may actually, there are different types of transition lenses that may get darker under certain conditions. Others may not be as dark because you want to wear them indoors. If you're indoors and you're exposed to fluorescent lights all day long, a lot of people say, you know, my eyes really bother me. Well, if you're having early cataract formation, the ultraviolet light will give off um, some radiation that affects the lens in the eye. And the actual lens does something, when you would go to, uh, sometimes in museums they've had a rock uh, exhibit and they would put a blue light, which is an ultraviolet light, and you would see the, lot, the rocks glow. That's fluoresce. And you get the same thing in your lens. So... You, you might want to wear a transition lens, and many people are very, very happy wearing transition lenses indoors because it actually cuts out a lot of this annoying glare, glare that they have to deal with all day. Now, when a person's using a, a transition lens, can you talk about some of the transition lenses? Which ones will actually get dark if they want to ride in the car with somebody and they want those lenses to be dark? Well, uh, if you're going to ask me which specific ones, I always discuss that. We have, a, we have our opticians at the lighthouse. So, um, uh, you know, I will have them discuss the different, and I know there are different types and they keep changing them. Uh, but there's some, some of my patients that I make it a point, I say, we need a very dark lens for this particular person because they cannot deal with the glare that's coming into their, they just can't. But, but I, I think, you know, Dr. Bill, you may be the expert in your office, and I, and I think um, because I'm working with the whole team, uh, I'm not always the one who's, who's – I, I may recommend with the optician and discuss it with them, uh, let's get a darker lens for this particular person. And I think that's a very good point because it's not just one transition that we're talking about. We're talking about different darker lenses. But, I, I, again, Bill, Dr. Bill, we, we have to look at the eye pathology. Again, with certain people, if it's too dark, it's not going to work for them, and it may actually be dangerous when they're driving. You don't want to cut out too much light when you're driving. Uh, California, you're going to get a lot more sunny days uh, than we certainly are in the East Coast. Yeah, and that really is one of the biggest problems that I've seen with the patients who come into our center. They often come in with the wraparound filters that they were given by their ophthalmologist after cataract surgery, and they're extremely dark. And these folks, they come inside our office and they just stand there because they, they can't see. They have to then <clears throat> take those filters off. Um, they always talk about the fact that they're tripping. 
You look at their knees or their shins and their scrapes. So that's a, a major, major problem. Now, Dr. Rosenthal, can you talk about I, I, You know, I, I, if you don't mind, I don't want to get off that point because it's more frequent than you would think. You brought up a very good point. People say, well, this is a great lens, but then I, I agree with you because I'm checking out the contrast and I'm saying, you're a danger to yourself. You're going to trip down the curb when you walk out of here. And uh, people tend to keep them, you know, they were free and, and they're, they seem pretty good and they're made by the same company. But as you said, they are usually very, very dark. And by dark, folks, they, they may actually cut out 75, 80% of the light or even more. Uh, and so that somebody who has this poor contrast, poor visual acuity, maybe some poor side vision is going to injure themselves. And that's really a major problem when they're walking in the city, for example, in New York, Manhattan, where you have tall buildings and there's a lot of shadows even on a sunny day. Uh, when they go from the direct sunlight to a shadow, they, they're blinded under that situation in the shadow. They really can't see because it cuts out too much light. Well, it, it's a bigger problem. You know, some places have tunnels, but we have tunnels. And if you go in with your... Uh, transition lenses that are, are dark, they're not going to lighten up by the time you're uh, even at the end of the tunnel. And so that can be a danger, and I think um, we have to be the ones to speak to everybody out there that your lens may actually be too dark under certain driving conditions, and you should be very, very aware of that. And that goes for night driving. You know, a lot of people say to me, you know, if I get this filter, I'm going to do better at night. Well, if you get a filter, it's going to filter out certain wavelengths, but they're not usually clear. We can make clear ultraviolet filters, but most people are wearing a tinted lens, a filter that, that's dark, and at night you have to get another pair of glasses if you're driving at night. And, and it's a very important point, but a lot of people don't realize that their lens may actually be much too dark, especially for certain times of the year. Now, when it talk, uh, you talk about night driving, can you tell our audience a little bit about the importance of understanding certain colored lenses are really not going to be the best type of lens to wear at night? For example, some of the orange or the red lenses, some people may say, well, you know, they're not as dark as buying black sunglasses, but these lenses are also somewhat dangerous to wear at night. Can you talk about the importance of understanding or having the doctors tell you which lenses you should not be wearing at night? Well, I think, um, again, if, if you have low vision, some type of visual impairment, when you go out at night, different parts of your eye are functioning differently. You may need not even see as well because your macular is functioning differently or your peripheral vision is functioning differently. Now, if you add a filter, as you're saying, uh, it's going to compound the problem when you're driving around with that particular filter because, again, it's usually dark. A lot of people are under the impression that if I get uh, a yellow lens, that will make it much easier to see. Yellow lenses are very good, as I mentioned earlier on, for enhancing vision in glaucoma patients and patients who have very poor contrast, but that's a filter that's cutting out a certain amount of light, even if it's 10% or 20%. That's a lot of light to cut out when you're driving. Now, there, there's a, a big problem when you're driving at night. You may actually have glare coming in from other headlights, and, and filters 
when they're too dark are even going to make their clear even worse. So I think that's something you have to talk about with a doctor, whether some type of surgical procedure should be instituted if necessary, if that's what's causing it. Um, but darker lenses at night are only lenses that can actually increase accident risk. Now, what about the polarized lens? I know that many people ask about the polarized lens. And for what types of patients in your practice do you recommend polarized lenses? I like polarized lenses for people who are outdoors. I like polarized lenses for people who are um, on their boat. And that's, that's a big thing in my area. I live by the Jersey Shore. Uh, because you're getting glare coming off the water. And, and polarized lenses will cut out. 50% of the glare that's coming off the surface, depending on the glare that comes off the surface. Um, it's a very comfortable lens. It's very good on the golf course for a lot of patients to use. Uh, if you're on the snow, now we didn't really talk about those kind of conditions where I think a wraparound filter may actually be better for those type of patients. But polarized lenses, you can have combinations. As you know, we can put combinations of a polarized lens, which will cut out the light and some other things with that. Um, but I like polarized lenses, and, and I wear them myself. I, I, um, I have a, a lake where I live, and uh, um, it cuts out the glare coming off the surface. So, again, if, if you're getting a lot of fatigue from some type of glare, whether it's out in the desert, the golf course, or the lake, I might want you to have a polarized lens as well. Uh, and that, you know, brings us to other things in sports vision, because um, a lot of our patients who are visually impaired um, – are certainly doing the same exact sports as everybody else. But you want to enhance the contrast, for example, on a golf course. Uh, I had a, a patient who was an avid golfer, but he had an optic nerve disease. So when we would go out on the golf course, he would actually have the caddy wear white shoes on a green, on the green so that he knew where he would put his ball. But nowadays, the way sports vision is, you can actually incorporate a lot of other filters that may actually work more efficiently on a golf course as well. So, again, I think um, some of the filters we're talking about work with some people very well. They may not work with other people. So it's really a big trial and error for every single individual person, even though we gravitate towards certain filters for certain eye conditions. And, and it really shows that there's so many factors to consider. Are you bothered by brightness? What is your contrast vision? What is your visual acuity? How does glare affect you? And with each of these particular factors, your eye doctor can evaluate each of these and then make that recommendation and even customize the filters specifically for your knees. So if you do need that... I think that's the word, Dr. Bill. The word is customized because you... Again, if you're, you have a low vision, you need a specific type of lens for your condition. You don't need a generalized lens. You also need to know what prescription should be in that particular lens. And, and you are bringing up all of the different things, but you may need, again, a filter to look at the computer. You may need your filter for, for your sports that you like. And so for everything, you may need different filters. And, uh, I mean, I generally don't go with more than a couple usually, but there are a lot of instances where somebody says, I can't function, it's too dark, but I need the dark one when I'm outside. You know, I have a lot of patients who go from uh, the north down to the south. They go to Florida, and the conditions are very, very different. And a lot of my patients actually like bifocal 
tinted lenses when they are reading outdoors in Florida. Uh, that patient, if they're near the water, I would say I want you to have a, uh, if they're reading on the beach, I want you to have a polar lens as well. So these are things you do have to discuss with your doctor as a patient, as, as the person who's going to be wearing these full time. And can you share with uh, the listeners also about if they're interested in learning more about how to acquire these types of customized filters, um, how, how's the best way? Uh, can they? Just I just filter? have to tell you, Bill, Dr. Bill, you know, for me, if you have low vision, you should be seeing a low vision specialist. I work, I, I have um, work, it's ophthalmology and optometry where I am, where we work together. The ophthalmologists are, have made it a, a point in telling their patients they are not doing low vision. To discuss that with low vision optometrists because there are very few ophthalmologists in the United States. Uh, I can name just about everyone who are doing low vision. So you really have to do, get yourself to somebody who specializes in low vision to discuss what's the appropriate filter for you. Excellent. Excellent. And I think that that is the main point that everybody listening tonight has to understand is because the low vision optometrist can perform all of these different tests to determine what you need. Whereas if you go to a conventional optometrist, they may again only test what you could see on the eye chart. They don't test the contrast vision and other aspects. Um, let's go ahead and let's open up to some questions. If you have a question to Dr. Bruce Rosenthal, go ahead and unmute your phone by pressing star six. And if you're doing that, I just want to remind you, this is being recorded by Airs LA, and you could listen to this at www.airsla, and it will also be available on the CCLVI webpage at www.cclvi. Usually, within a matter of two to three weeks, this is also going to be aired on Friday evenings on ACB Radio at www.acbradio.org. So are there any questions for Dr. Rosenthal that any of you have regarding your own particular eye condition and filters? Or perhaps he could answer other questions that you may have. Go ahead. Dr. Rosenthal? Yes. Yes. Yes, my name's Denise. Um, I'm an occupational therapist assistant, and I work with a patient who's uh, an MS patient. He's got a pretty severe, um, uh, I don't know if it's horizontal or pendular nystagmus, um, and it's pretty, it's constant. And um, I believe that she has um, a, a extreme glare sensitivity. But I just wondered, is there any study, are there any studies that have been done uh, about uh, filters that can relieve nystagmus, or is that just not something that filters address? That's a very good question you're asking, because I don't remember reading. Well, one is I, I, I wrote an article uh, a long time ago on, on MS, so I have paid a lot of attention to MS. Um, okay. And the one, I can't think of any specific color that somebody who has MS, which is an optic nerve problem, uh, is preferring over other filters. They might prefer a gray filter that I might want to give. Um, as far as the nystagmus, I know of no studies that, uh, and this is almost ignored by the, the eye field, other than the eye doctors who are very involved uh, with, the, with the eye part where the vision may be very decreased and then it comes back and then it gets decreased again. 
I know of no studies in which they're doing nystagmus, NF, MS, and trying to slow it down with filters. Okay. And by the way, a, a patient who has MS, uh, the contrast, every time they, they go into exacerbation, the contrast decreases, and then they would go back into remission. They usually do not get back to the contrast level that they were at, and that's one area that can decrease significantly over time. Okay, good. So um, I would try to enhance the contrast in some way, though, with an MS patient and find okay. out which particular filter, because you're somebody who's using filters, might be one that they respond to. Okay. And I would go more towards the yellow range because the optic nerve is being affected there. Okay. And, and what happens, let me just mention, we didn't really discuss it, but I was talking about how you lose your high spatial frequencies with many of the visual conditions. When it's an optic nerve condition, and again, I like to relate this to a hearing test, you lose your middle hearing frequencies. You do the same thing in glaucoma uh, and optic nerve disease, and you begin to lose the middle frequencies first. And those are the patients that respond more to a yellow type of filter to enhance the contrast. Okay, a yellow specifically, not a yellow-orange or a... No, that's what I was saying. Everybody has a different preference, and I, w I would keep between yellow-orange and, and, and yellow to see what they prefer. And don't forget there's a prescription element for a lot of your patients as well. Okay, very good. Thank you, sir. Okay, you're welcome. Uh, doctor, this is Stephen from Connecticut. Um, I have retinitis pigmentosa and also cataract. Okay, well, first of all... Um, Almost a very, very high percentage of people who have retinitis pigmentosa also have cataracts. They have a specific name. They're not the regular cataract. They're called posterior subcapsular cataracts. Uh, many people have that cataract. Even though their vision is relatively good, uh, they, they consult with the doctor. And, and in many instances, they operate on that eye because uh, the cataract will actually cause a glare sensation because of its position in the eye, and it also actually interferes with reading. Uh, so um, when you have retinitis pigmentosa, as I mentioned, red can be a color. Some people need a darker red, and they're actually darker red, and some may lean towards the yellow color. Um, and again, it's a generalization, but the majority of patients I deal with fall in that particular range. And I don't know, do you wear anything like that, any specific color? Well, outside I wear the dark uh, cornings. Okay. And what color is um, It's, I don't know if it's dark green or it's really dark. Okay. Uh, you I, know, I, I meant you should make sure that you don't have a problem if it's too dark, but you seem to be somebody who's very light sensitive, aren't you? Right. Okay. But so you find that the corning, I, I'm sorry. Go I, ahead. I also wear blue for reading glasses. I have reading glasses that I can read with a magnifier. You like blue lenses? Yes. Uh, very not not the most common thing, wearing a blue lens. But but I rarely ever prescribe a blue lens. Mm -hmm. And um, okay. uh, I I don't remember seeing that in the literature as well. So so again, it runs from gray to to um, you know. Green, green, green. I didn't even mention, but green actually used to be a very, very common color uh, that your grandparents may have worn. And somehow, somehow, we've gone away from green 
but but green is still a good color as, as is brown. But Stephen, I, I would say that the, what you're wearing uh, indicates again that you seem to be very light sensitive, uh, and it's very beneficial for you. Okay, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Another question for Dr. Rosenthal. Dr. Rosenthal. Yes. Hi. Um, can you comment on folks who have retinopathy of prematurity? That's a good question. Um, ROP is uh, something we actually have one of our doctors specializes in that particular condition. I, you know, it really depends upon the vision on what's going on in terms of, of a glare sensation. Uh, do you have a specific patient that you're thinking of or somebody you know? Actually, it's me. Uh, it's I have retinopathy of prematurity, and I, um, I'm in my 50s now, but when I was in my 20s, I had a cataract removed, and it was back in the days when they didn't have the lens implants that they have now. They're, right. So you wear thick lenses, correct? I wear thick, thick lenses. I only have vision in one eye, and um, I'm finding that as time has gone on, I'm very, very sensitive to light, I notice. Um, you know, I, know, I don't know if Dr. Bill uh, would agree, but, you know, it, it might be um, some type of contact lens. Have you tried that? Are you able to wear it? I did wear contact lenses for a while, but I couldn't. I had to stop because I was getting corneal abrasions and eye infections and things, and they said, no, we don't want to risk your eye because you only have one eye, and we don't want to go any further with the contact lenses. Well, regardless of what type of lens you're wearing, one is you can get a thinner lens than they used to make, and number two, um, you, you can definitely get a filter that either clips on the lens or you can get that lens um, tinted with any kind of absorption curve, meaning you could have different absorptions to increase the contrast and decrease your glare sensitivity that you have. Okay. Um, uh, there are actually companies that, that will do that for you, um, and we don't, for example, do these exotic type of lenses that you might be talking about, and there are companies, uh, I know in the East Coast, we, we have one that we'll go to, and I'm sure in every part of the country there are different companies that the doctors will use there, but you have a type of condition that has to be discussed with a low vision specialist and get an appropriate lens that will, you know, work with the particular lens that you're wearing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it will help you. Do you wear a wraparound lens at all? Have you tried that? Uh, yes, I have tried, you know, wearing them all, uh, over my regular glasses. Yes. And I find that the, the ones I have now are too dark. Okay, and I think Dr. Bill was saying the same thing. A lot of times those wraparounds are much too dark, and I have to tell you they come in all transmissions. And what I mean by that, some are very, very light, but they cut out the ultraviolet and the infrared and the blue light and you could function with that well, um, but some are actually much too dark and you cannot function with them. So again, I would go to a place that you can try on some of these and see if they reduce your glare. Okay. Do you happen to know of any place in the Albany, New York area that would... Yes, I do. I know the Albany Association for the Blind, Dr. Al Morier, is a low vision specialist, and uh, Dr. Morier actually handles low vision uh, we have a certification test, and he invoked that for all of New York State. And Dr. Morier runs a couple of low vision meetings uh, uh, every year. So he, he's one of the experts, M-O-R-I-E-R. -E okay. Thank you. All righty. 
Oh, you're very welcome. Great, great. Well, we have time for one more question. Does anybody else have a question for Dr. Rosenthal? One more, please. Okay. Well, I think that... Uh, well, you know, I, I want to finish it by saying one interesting thing. You know, with everything that goes on in our government, uh, we do have one senator in the United States, Senator John Bozeman. He's a senator from uh, Arkansas. I don't know if anybody uh, on is from that area, but... We actually have one low-vision senator in the United States Senate who was one of my students, and I'm proud to say that, you know, he probably puts in a message for people with low vision in Washington, and I think it's important for everybody to know that we do have somebody in Washington. And, in fact, uh, I gave a talk in Washington last fall. It's called the Congressional Briefing, and he did come to that. And, and I think it's important that, um, low vision, visual impairment has more research uh, attached to it, and uh, we're able to basically develop a lot of new products for people who are visually impaired. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I think that's very important for the general public to understand more about people who are visually impaired and that people don't think that people who are visually impaired are, are disabled. It, it's a shame that so many people with low vision are not able to find employment. But uh, Dr. Rosenthal, uh, where can people contact you, or if they wanted to get in touch with you, can you leave a email address or a website address where people may contact you? I think my email address. Uh, it's okay. Let me just go over my email address. Be like a boy. R O S E N T H A L at lighthouse, one word, dot O-R-G, and I will just do me a favor, say that, that you were listening on this program, and I'll be glad to answer your question. Well, this has been extremely, extremely helpful. Thank you very, very much for your time. And again, to all the listeners out there, if you have others who would be interested in hearing Dr. Rosenthal's lecture, please remind them that they can go to www.cclvi.org for all of you who would like to listen to this or share it with others, please remember to direct them to www.cclvi.org, or they could also go to AirsLA at www.airsla.org, and this will also be broadcasted on ACB Radio at www.acbradio.org. Now, next month, we're going to be talking about the latest applications for Android and the iPhone. So I hope that for those of you who are interested in accessible cell phones that you could join us when we have, again, Mike Arrigo and Julian Vargas who will tell us on that. So again, want to thank you, Dr. Rosenthal, very, very much for your time and your expertise, and I want to thank all of you listeners for coming on this evening. Good night, everybody.